Good. Welcome. If you're visiting with us, uh, we're glad to have you here. Um, I will let you know that it may look a little bit different uh, today, not so much about the worship, but what we're doing today and right now from this point on may look a little different. Um, We're spending the month of January. uh, Basically, I guess you could call it our family summit. (laughs) We're getting together and we're talking about the things that God has put on us for this new year and coming into the new year. And I have, I've always been a little bit like this, but even more this year, I'm being moved by hearing the Spirit speak to me about what I'm putting my hands to and the intentionality behind it. Because I have passion and desire inside of me to see the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, begin to be a true representation of the head. And I've been in the church so long, my whole life, that I don't know that we're doing the right things in order to get to that. And so I'm not about trying to change things up. It's not that. I just am really intently trying to hear the Lord on what do we need to do so that the world around us and even this city gets transformed because they're seeing something different. They've been seeing that the world around us, they know about church. They're all over the place. I just, I just want to know, I'm asking the Lord, what's it going to look like? for us to become a people that when we get around outside of this building, when all of us individually get outside of this building, that people's destinies get released, that their futures get revealed, that their bodies get healed, that they come into a revelation of Jesus Christ and they say, I believe he's the son of God. What's going to move us to those kinds of things? I don't know what it is. I don't think it comes through programs. I don't think it comes through these strategies of man to try to do it because I've seen some things that, you know, we've been doing it for a long time and some of them are effective, but really, where are we seeing real transformation? Where are we seeing it? I think that's a valid question to ask. And so as we're laying that stuff before the Lord, it means that some things are changing with us. Um, And I think they're good things. Um, I've told you before, if you've been around here for a while, when we started this church a couple of years back, our, our goal was not to develop a structure and then have everybody come in and fill the structure. Our goal was to start with what God was just telling us to do, which pri- priority one, which was get in the presence of God. Get in the presence of God. When you get in the presence of God, he reveals his purpose. And when he reveals his purpose, then you can start doing it. Is this making sense? So as we're coming into this new year, some things are changing, but it's not because we want to change them just to change. It's because we know we need to do some things in order to continue with what God has called us to do. My heart at its very core, at its very core of what I want to see is a body of believers that walk outside of these doors on a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Do the things that God has put on you to do and see the kingdom brought in your workplace, in your homes, and everywhere you go so that when we gather on Sundays, it's not about you getting a word so that you can go do something. It's about you giving testimony that encourages everybody else. Wouldn't that be wonderful if every Sunday we came together and you didn't have to listen to me preach, but it was just testimony after testimony after testimony of God showing up, healing people, saving people, releasing destiny, showing them the future. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Sound good to you guys? I believe it can happen. I really do believe. I don't, I don't have this desire inside of me to stand up in front of people and pontificate. I don't. I know, isn't that weird? A pastor? I thought that's what they wanted to do, was just talk. That was their most favorite thing to do, was to get in front of people and talk. It's not. It's not my favorite thing to do. My favorite thing to do is to hear testimony about how God's moving through people. That, man, I, I'm jonesing for that stuff. <laughs> I want more of that. That totally amps me up to hear somebody giving testimony about what they did with their life, which had an effect on somebody else's life. That's multiplication, and that's what God does. He multiplies. So, where was I going with that? I have no idea. 
We're going to talk a little bit this morning about some things that are, that are changing here. Last week, we started it. We opened the can up a little bit. Um, I'll just recap real quick that I want to give you our priorities and what our priorities are when we come together. Number one, it's the presence of God. It's the presence of God. Why is it good to write these things down? Because without a vision, people cast off restraint, right? People perish. Without a vision, we just wander. We don't do anything. We're just kind of together. And I love being together, but there are things that we have to do. When we come together as our family, my family of five, when we come together, we'll hang out and we'll do nothing and just enjoy each other. But that's not the bulk of how our lives are lived. The bulk of how our lives are lived are moving into the things that God has spoken to us about what we need to be doing. And you guys know that. Anybody in here got kids? You know what it's like? Somebody's got to clean that room. Somebody's got to do those dishes. Somebody's got to get that laundry done. Somebody's got to mop the floor. Somebody's got to, you know. Why am I talking about it like that? Because there are all kinds of things that we in the body of Christ need to learn to recognize that, you know, there's a lot here for us, but there's a lot to do. There's a lot of stuff to do. So when we come together, priority one is this, presence of God, the presence of God. It is, it is number one, it's up here. If we had the list going like in priorities, number one would be here, number two would be way, way down here, and then three would be under that, and then four. That's how much distance there is between priority one and everything else. I'm just trying to, if you're hearing my heart here, I'm just trying to say it is a big, big deal. It's the presence of God. I know this because I know what changed in my life. I was years in the church. My dad's a pastor, church planter. I was born on Saturday, in church on Sunday, never knew the difference until I was 32 years old when all of a sudden I discovered the presence. And it wasn't just about doing stuff. And I was really good at doing the stuff. But when the presence came, everything else changed. When the presence is there, it's like, I don't know how to describe it. When the presence of God showed up in my life, it was like somebody gave me three eyes and three ears. I started seeing things and hearing things I never thought were even possible. I started in the spirit realm. Things were opening up to me that were like, what? I didn't know this. You mean, yeah, yeah. You don't have to work for these things. You have to rest in these things. The power of God. Is this connecting with you at all? The presence of God. That's where lives are changed. My life was changed in the presence of God. It wasn't changed through a program. It was changed by the presence of God showing up. That's why it's so vitally important. Guys, do you know how to do? We can, can we do something, practice something real quick? Yeah. Everybody close your eyes. Now, I just want you to let the longing of your heart be for this one person, Jesus. Recognize him, creator of the universe. He restores your soul. Now, just think about him for a minute. That's how you get into the presence. And anybody can do it anywhere. Is that easy enough for you? It's a good little practice. So let's get out of this thinking that I've got to shout my prayers, or I've got to read this, or I've got to do that. The easiest way to get into the presence of God is still the soul. Make it shut up. Stop thinking about all the other stuff. Just shut up. Listen. My youngest son, he's sick today, he's not here, but my youngest son, Wilson, he's eight now, but when he was three years old, he had a prophetic word spoken over him. 
Larry Randolph. I don't know if you guys know who he is. Um, we were sitting in a service, and Larry, anybody in here know who Larry Randolph is? He's an interesting cat, isn't he? He is, that guy is like, he's about a half bubble off a of plum. But he's awesome. He's wonderful. And he's kind of an Arkansas kind of guy, and he's just kind of, you know, he's not very um, polished, I'll put it that way, and I love that. But we're sitting in a service, and he starts prophesying, and when he prophesies, he does it a lot where he teaches as he's going through it, and I love that. I think that's a wonderful thing, because if you can't teach what you're doing, then nobody else learns. They don't know how to do it themselves. So he's prophesying, and he's talking about some things, and he, he begins to speak, and he, he comes over to this side of the room where we were sitting, and he starts saying, uh, maiden name, Wilson. It's a, it's a maiden name, Wilson. Who is it? Somebody's maiden name, Wilson. And I'm sitting about four rows back, and I'm holding Wilson, our son. And it's my grandmother's maiden name. And so I'm like going, right here, right here. I'm holding him up. And he's like looking all around. And he couldn't find him. He didn't, you know, he's like, Wilson, his mother's maiden name. And finally everybody said, it's right there. He looked at him. So finally he looks at him and goes, okay, Wilson. Oh, great. Here's the word. The word is that your son there, Wilson, he's like Samuel. And it's going to be, he's going to begin to hear the voice of the Lord very, very early. He was three. So I took that to heart and didn't wait for it passively. And I'm primarily the one that puts our, tucks our kids in at night. And uh, Jake's getting a little weirded out by that. He's 18 years old now. <laughs> it's starting to bother him. But <laughs> but I still, I still to this day, I still am tucking him in primarily. And when, even when he was three years old, I, I, I started tucking him in at night and I would say to him, Wilson, I want you to talk to Jesus. Because I can pray with my kids and I can do everything, but it's so important that they begin to hear. And I had this word that was spoken over him. And why I'm telling you this, I'm not sure yet, but somebody's going to get some breakthrough in this. I said, Wilson, I want you to start talking to Jesus. Just when I leave the room now, I just want you to start talking to Jesus. And so I started doing that. And then the next night I would go back in and I would say, did you talk to Jesus? And he's like, well, yeah. I said, did you hear anything? He'd be like, no. I said, well, let's try again. Let's talk to Jesus. So I did this for months and months. I was doing this with him. Did you talk to Jesus? Because he wants to talk to you. I know he does. Just say, Jesus, talk to me. I'm here. I'll hear you. So you know, and so he would do that over and over. Finally, one day, I walk in and I said, did you talk to Jesus? And he goes, mm-hmm. I said, did you hear something? He goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he had this really sheepish look on his face, like, like he was really scared. But of course, you know, me as a dad, I'm thinking, all right, word of the Lord, come on. What did he say? And you know what he said? He goes, I said, well, what did he say to you? He goes, I heard him say, Wilson, I love you. The most profound thing he could have ever heard in his life was that thing right there. I'm waiting for this deep prophetic insight, you know, that he's just going to spill as a four-year-old, you know. (laughs) And he says, I heard him say, Wilson, I love you. How awesome is that? Now, if there's nothing else that this kid ever hears in his life, that one thing is it. That's it, right there. Now, why I'm saying that, I have no, I didn't even plan on talking about that, but there's, when, when we come to God, I guess, don't get caught up in trying to get some weird, deep thing. 
come to God and let him speak to you in a way that you need to hear what you need to hear inside. And let that be the thing that motivates you from that point on. Wilson, I love you. I mean, really. Yeah, works for me. Mm. Mm. It's, it's from that place that everything will flow. So, you know, I keep taking him back to that. What did he say to you? What did he say to you? Because Wilson, he's got a prophetic word over his life that he's like Samuel. Well, we know of Samuel that none of his words fell to the ground. So what am I going to do? I'm going to try to draw as much of that out of him as I possibly can. Are you still listening? Are you still hearing? What's going on? Talk to Jesus. I told you already how he went out on the playground one day and he saw an angel. As a seven-year-old, he saw an angel. I'm like, I've never seen an angel. I want to. <laughs> what did it look like? You know, and he's telling me all about it. But his ears are turned towards it. Yeah, I just think there's something in this for all of us that we still the soul, stop messing around with all this other stuff. Expect, like Bube was saying, that whenever I come in with the people of God and get in the presence of God, something's got to change. Something's got to change. You know, oftentimes it isn't even our circumstances that are changing. It's our perception of our circumstances that are changing. And it takes a lot of maturity to recognize that because we want our circumstance to change instead of letting our perception of our circumstance change. Let it change it. Presence of God is primary. It's number one. It's when we come together to worship. That's what we're after. We may worship all, all day. We don't know. We're going to come together and worship. It's not a precursor to a message. The presence of God is so wonderful. The reason why we called this place Acts 2 was not to be clever, but because we saw something in there. I saw something happening in Acts 2. I even saw teaching happening in Acts 2. But the teaching was about the power of God that manifested itself, and then he taught from that right there. That's more powerful than anything. I've had seasons in my life where I've taught out of the word of God, but I'm teaching out of what just happened. That was the power of God that came. That's so much more fun to do it that way. I think it's much more effective to have the power of God show up and teach about what's happening than teach something to try to get the power of God to show up. The other part of it is so presence, number one. Power. It's number two. This is what we find out. People waiting on God. Acts chapter 2. People come in. They're waiting on the Lord. They're waiting and waiting and waiting. They waited for 10 days for him to show up because they knew something was coming. He shows up. The power of God gets revealed. What is that? Tongues of fire. That's weird. People acting really drunk. That's weird. I'm not making it up. It's in there. And we know that they thought they were drunk because he had to stand up and say, these people aren't drunk as you suppose. You think they are, but they're not. The power of God shows up, weird things happen. That's what happens when revival shows up, though. It polarizes people. One group ends up going, wow, I want that. Another group goes, that's weird. That's weird. So I'm not interested in making everybody comfortable. <laughs> Jesus even says, woe to the man who everyone speaks highly of. I want the power of God. I want it manifesting. I want it showing up. I want it changing lives, transform lives. It's what I've experienced. It's what I've witnessed. I'm not just going after these things because I think it's a good idea. It's where my life was changed, and I know that everybody's life can be changed by the power of God. Testimony. He stands up and he starts talking about it. This is what happened. That Jesus you killed, this is the one. This is the dude. This is what it is. And listen, the good news is all of this stuff, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. You all get to get in on this. We see in Acts chapter 2, transform lives. Anybody want their life transformed? Yeah, me too. 
Me too. There's not passivity in that either, by the way. True transformation is followed by true vulnerability. And then ultimately we see people living in community together. That's it. We see people living in community together. So we're going to talk this morning a little bit about the whole family dynamic. Uh, Last week we talked about community. We've got Joe and Diane starting this Friday. Hey, do we have those things, Leah? Where are they? Back here. Can you bring me one of those things? I know some of this sounds like information, and it is. I just need one of them. We've got a bunch of these things on the back. It's got Joe and Diane's credit card numbers, bank accounts, all that on there. And it's, no, 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 and just their email, their phone numbers. That's all it has on there. So you, and it has their address, and it has the, the time when they're meeting. So if you guys want to grab one of these things, it's a little small thing. You can stick it in your Bible. You can put it on the refrigerator, whatever. They're sitting on the table back there. Grab one of those things, and you guys are going to have a bunch of people showing up at your house. So sorry, but deal with it. Ah. <laughs> oh. I want to talk about family a little bit. Fathering and mothering. One of the values that we have here is generational ministry. Um, church isn't church until you've got generations involved in it. How do I know that? Because I see that's what started. That's what started in Acts chapter 2. When he talks about it in Acts chapter 2, verse 39, I believe he says, this is not only for you and for your children, for all who are afar off. He's speaking of generations. Not, not, it's not just geographical. He's speaking of generations for you, for your children, for your men's servants, your maid servants, all of them. Everybody gets in on this. Family is not family unless it's generational. Hello? It's generational. I've got a father that I look to. Um, he will be coming back this summer. And if you missed him last time, you don't want to miss him. Again. He's 70, what is he, 77, 78 years old right now, and life's been kind of hard on his body, but that man can still bring the heat. (laughs) He's forgotten more about the word than I'm ever going to know. He's an amazing man. I look to my father a lot. I call him weekly. I talk to him just to hear his voice, just so I can connect with him for a little bit. I always have questions for him, and he's always got some really, really good answers for me. But he's not the only one. I'm going to testify of this because I have my natural father who's been a good father to me. But I needed something more than that. Even though there may be people, and I'm sure there is because it's part of how life happens, there may be people even in this room that don't have a really good relationship with your earthly father. There are fathers still available for you. They are. I had a good relationship with my father, and the heavenly father still saw it fit to see me need another father in my life. And my father's a good earthly father. He's a good spiritual father to me, but I still needed another father that wasn't genetically connected to me. After I came through the transformation in 99, I didn't even know what I needed. I just knew I needed Jesus, and I was euphoric with him. It took somebody 15, 18 years older than me coming to me and saying, listen, I need... I need you to come sit with me because there's some things that I need to impart to you. That was one of the most profound things that happened to me. My life in the Lord began to exponentially grow from that point on. I actually had two men do that to me. I was very fortunate. I had two men come to me. Why? Because that's how the kingdom works. Are you guys still tracking with me here? So I'm saying to all of us in here who may be my age or a little older, 46, 56, 66, whatever it is, You need to be looking for the children. 
Because the word says that he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. It doesn't, and then the hearts of the children to the fathers. It's not the other way around. It starts with the hearts of the fathers to the children. Even if you're just my age or a little bit younger, there's still somebody in your life you can look for. Because even though they may have good earthly homes and great parents, they still need somebody else. Is this making sense? This is so important for us to recognize what generational ministry looks like. It's, it's, I know and I love my daughter. She's, she's the most beautiful thing on this planet. And I have things and I have keys for her life. And my mom, and my mom, her mom, is that a Freudian slip? No. Her mom has wonderful things for her as well. But I also know this, that she's not going to get the fullness in life of what she needs if she has to get it just for me and her. She needs other people. She needs you guys. That's what she needs. She needs people in this room. I'm hoping this is connecting with you guys. This is why generational ministry is so, so important. It's why we take serious what we're doing with our kids. Um, My wife has been doing the kids for so long, and she's been been good with it. Um, But we're looking to see what that's going to look like because it needs to make a transition. Um, But one of the things I keep saying to Justin is I don't ever want the kids in the room, in any one of these rooms back here, to ever drift or not be able to have an opportunity when they come together to hear the Lord. Not just through the teaching that's happening, but, but Curtis, before he left, he was so good about this. He would have them sit there and he'd put on worship music and have them soak just so they could hear the Lord. And they would either write it down or they would draw pictures on what it is. That's so important. It's so, so important. Where do you think these destiny things get identified? They get identified when you're young, right? We want that stuff to happen. It's so important that we pour into generations, not only under us, but that we look to the ones over us. And I've still got guys in my life. I've got guys that are my age that I need to be around. I've got some that are younger that I'm pouring myself into, but I've also got some that are older that I'm just going, help me, help me, help me. You guys know that's okay. Does anybody have someone in your life that you do that with? If you don't, find it. Find someone. Let the Lord begin to speak to you and say, who is that older person in my life that I need to go to and say, help me with this? There are things you know. I've got three of them specifically that are older that I talk to, that I go, I call them and I say, help me with this. Show me what this looks like. I'm I'm entering into uncharted territory here and I need some help with this. Why? It's important. Generational ministry. I didn't recognize it, but somebody took me in. And they showed it to me, and it made me understand, wow, I need more than just a few people around me. I need this generational thing. Part of what we would like to do is what we're doing with Joe and Diane in this, in this home group, is allow another area. And we want to start more home groups. If there's something where you've got it on you, where you're really good at doing this, talk to us about it. We want to start more of these things. We want to create the context so that people can come together and learn things from Joe and Diane, learn things from other people that are in the group, be able to give and share life together. We can't do it in a big group like this as much, but when we get into these small groups, we can do that. So very, very important. Um, A while back, I use the word cross-pollinating an awful lot. I like cross-pollinization, and I use that in in a spiritual sense, I guess. Um, I like, I have some good Baptist friends here in town. The way that the style of church and the way, you know, I don't believe all of it and stuff, but you know, I need them in my life. Why? Because there's a cross-pollinization that happens in that. There's something that happens so we don't get myopic and small and narrow-minded in our view of what things are supposed to look like. Is this making sense? I need to talk to people like that. I need their perspectives. I need to hear them talk about things that they're learning that aren't necessarily coming from the same sources where I'm getting it from. I need to know those things. Um, 
When we first moved here, my wife started doing a little garden. Anybody in here into gardening? Like herb gardens, things like that? My wife started doing a little garden. And she had tomato plants, and she was doing peppers and things like that, and it was really great. Well, she decided that she wanted to grow some squash. So she got a squash plant, and she put it in the ground. And it's flowering, and it's doing all this stuff, and it was like it was, the vine was growing, it was getting big, but it was making no squash. And we're like wondering, why is this not making any squash? And so we found out, somebody told us, you can't do it with one, you have to do it with two. Because they cross-pollinate with each other. One will not grow without the other. And it was the same thing. It just needed something inside of this other person in order to make it grow. And we're sitting here watering it, we're fertilizing it, and nothing but a flower comes out on the thing. But it wasn't producing any fruit. Why? It needed something else there to help it grow. Now, when I heard that, it was like, ding, you know, okay, of course, light comes on. I don't know, some of you guys probably already knew that if you're into gardening. We need that. We need that cross-pollinization that's going on. That's what the community aspect of this is about. It's what the generational aspect of this is about. I don't want to just carry a vision for the rest of my life and seeing church grow up and be healthy and be highly effective. We've got to look at it and go, God, how are we going to get there? What's going to move us? What's going to move us from where we are into something else? So it's just making sense to you guys. Okay, I'm going to shift gears on you. As we're talking through all these value things, I want to talk about the serving aspect of it. Um, I've grown up in church where serving is usually motivated uh, out of compulsion instead of out of conviction. It's just like giving. You ever been in a church where you're motivated out of compulsion, (laughs) not out of conviction? (laughs) That's not a fun way, is it? It should be motivated by mercy and compassion of Jesus, not for God, but with God. In other words, any serving that we're doing should be motivated through, I'm connected with the Father, and I'm beginning to flow out of this right here, not because I feel like I have to go do this thing. Has anybody ever been a part of any kind of organization where you've had to go out and do evangelism? Let me see your hand. Hold them up. Let me see them. How many of you absolutely hated it? Nearly everybody's hand still stayed up. Why? Because it's not motivated out of compassion. It's motivated out of compulsion. There are two different things. I speak a lot at YWAM schools, and YWAM, I love them. They do a lot of things. They do a lot of wonderful things, and they're all about missions and covering the earth with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's wonderful. And they have these students do evangelism, where they go out the street and do it. And I ask them when I get to, this, to these schools, and I say, how many of you guys hate doing that? And they're all afraid. They look at their school leader like, I don't want to raise my hand because he's looking at me, but I really hate doing this. Well, it's not, it's coming from the wrong place. When it's coming from the right place, it comes from a place where I've experienced transformation of Jesus Christ in my life, and I don't want anybody to miss out on this. This is, this is what's so great. Let me tell you this wonderful thing that Jesus did for me. That's where evangelism works best. Well, it's the same thing, the same principle works in serving. When it comes to serving, you find out what is the thing that God's put on you that you're just like, this is what motivates me, this is what moves me. Uh, Where are you? There you are. Jillian, I've picked on you before, but I'm going to do it again. I had no idea even that there was, I kind of did, but I didn't even know that there was this whole group, this mass of people in the New Age movement that needed Jesus. I know everybody needs Jesus, but that's not where my thinking was. Is this making sense? She has this passion and motivation. So does Diane. 
to do this thing. So there's fears of serving them that she's moved into that is coming out of this com- the compassion of Jesus inside her heart. It speaks a language to you, right? Could I say it that way? It speaks a language to you that makes sense. So she moves and she starts serving in those arenas. This is what I'm talking about. This kind of serving. Why am I bringing this up? Because I want us to keep in mind constantly, ever in front of us, where do I need to be putting my hand to serve? Now, do we need help within the church? Yes, we need help within the church. There's always things to do within the church. But I'm more interested in people finding their right fit. Because there's nothing worse than a misfit in the body of Christ. And what I mean by a misfit in the body of Christ is this. There are no misfits in the body of Christ. They're just people who have missed their fit. (laughs) And I want to find out where your fit is. I see on you, Abube, I saw it today for the first time. I see an influence in you that you're a magnet for kids. I don't know why. I just saw it today. I don't know what that means, but you're a magnet for kids. I'm not saying that to try to get you working kids. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying you need to pay attention to that because there's something about it. I I saw it because I saw a few of the kids looking at you today, and I thought, there's something where they love you. I don't know what that is, but they love you. So I don't know. We'll figure out what that thing is, but there's something on that. Find out where it is that God's put you, what he's created you, designed you to do, and go walk in it. Do it. And again, all I'm doing is I'm standing here as a cheerleader for you. I'm going to stand here as a cheerleader, and I'm going to say, come on, let's do it. Let's do it together. What is it you got on you? Let's go do it. 